Oh man, you wouldn't believe today's fucking amusing injury. I was trying to open up a fucking bottle of wine, right? And it's got like that foil shit on the top, right? So I was trying to open that up, you know, get that peeled off. Mm-hmm. And of course, I fucking stabbed myself on an errant piece of foil and I have to just hand it off to someone while I go downstairs to clean myself up and bandage myself because I'm too fucking incompetent to operate a bottle. Jeez, man. You know, in the phases of your life, like, without giving too much of your own story away, you haven't exactly lived a purely boring or danger-free life. So really the things, the mundane things that bring you closer to the Reaper are always kind of fascinating to me. I think your your life has been more, uh, like, drama-prone, where mine has been more injury-prone, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a genre thing. So it's like a perilous. It's been, I have had more peril in my life. Sam jumps the red car with the fucking slave state flag on it at the end of the episode. Whereas a sibling of mine comes back and says, they have amnesia. (laughs) Oh man, you haven't lived until you started stealing jokes from Futurama. I swear to God, at 35 years old, I'm going to be up to some fucking Tom Cruise shit or something. I don't even care what Tom Cruise shit. It's all basically the same movie. Hey, uh, just so you don't break your own ankles shooting a surprisingly good Mission Impossible film, (laughs) the thing about the parkour landing is that you need to make sure you keep your horizontal momentum when you land and go directly into the roll. Oh, I know. I did a bunch of gymnastics when I was in in school, and then I'm and then they kind of teach you that sort of shit in uh, in martial arts, too. And I did that for a number of years. I have, like, this sort of background detail about myself where I, I kind of know these things. Like, I kind of halfway know these things still. I did the intersection between gymnastics and the getting your ass beat half of martial arts with capoeira. Which I always <laughs> summarize the same way. My first instinct in conflict is to do a fucking cartwheel and play a drum. So my murder will be ruled a suicide. It looks so cool, but it's it's like the fucking like World of Warcraft armor of martial arts. Like, <laughs> oh man, I've got pauldrons. It looks pretty fucking sick, but if you actually wore it. Oh dude, but if you like right click it, it has one of those little FromSoft write-ups about the history of it and Braz- the like slums of Brazil. And then you do a crab stance on the ground. And then you do a crab stance. You can do an actual baby freeze in the middle of a capoeira demonstration. No one will blink. When I was doing both, I kind of wondered how far I could sneak the breaking moves into the process before someone called me fucking out on it. <laughs> uh, and how long did it take? Or were they just too polite? Well, A, people are generally too polite. B, I think that the windmill shatters kayfabe. You cannot do a breakdancing windmill. Zuko did. Zuko has a really bad win-loss ratio. Well, if you pay attention, Zuko only wins when he's in the right. And, you know, he he was not in the right for a good portion of his, you know, career, I guess. Ah, ah he's got that, uh, he's got that Chris Jericho bump. Exactly, yeah. Um... It's it, it's actually cool. The first time you see him win is against Zhao because he was right in that fight. Um, and then, oh, man. You know, towards towards the end of the third season, you know, he starts winning more because you know he is in the right more. Uh, and then he arguably wins that last Agni Kai against Azula. You know what? 
if you're not in chains and the other person is, you just count that as a W in the records and I certainly feel better about my day than she feels about hers. I don't know what you guys think of this. It's fucking close enough, like on paper. You know, you'll have some of the smarts trying to put an asterisk on your name, but uh, fuck that shit. You know, it took me forever. Not forever. It took me until probably like the second viewing of uh, of Avatar: The Last Airbender, is, and they don't like fucking tell you. Uh, you sort of just have to notice it. Is that he um he fucks up, uh, redirecting the lightning at the very end there, and redirects it through his heart. Um, and they don't they don't just come out and say Zuko, you were supposed to do it through your stomach. <laughs> he just he just just got to defibrillate himself a little. He's lucky to be alive. I mean. <laughs> He was lucky to be born, you know, just at the outset, you know, as Azuler. I think actually he said that, but right. Oh yeah, the, the, I think the line was, um, "They said she was born lucky. They said I was lucky to be born. Lucky to be born. Yeah. Now, now he's lucky to be breathing." Man, there's a kid born without a shot. Speaking of people born without a shot, by the way, before I just go right into our theme of the episode, which is a kaiju doubleheader, so let's call this a big episode. A big, meaty, mo- yeah, a large boy, uh, one that loves his calories and isn't suffering through intermittent fasting like me right now. It's my uh, first week of the business, and I, I don't know, I do okay in terms of my various ninjury things with the, all the breakdancing parkour stuff, but this is, this is an aesthetic effort. It's really only about pure vanity. Yeah, it is with me, too. I'm not going to fucking lie and say that it's about, you know... My long-term health, or so I don't give a shit about that. It's my silhouette. <laughs> it's literally just my silhouette. I'm adopting this one so I can drink more. <laughs> long-term health. What good shit do you think is going to happen when you're 85 and the fucking water wars have begun? <laughs> uh, I don't even plan on living that long. I, uh, but <laughs> I do. I do plan on looking sick right now, and I do. So ha. Oh, man, I can't wait to be in the fucking 2020s version of one of those fucking old-school cool posts. Here's my granddad. He's holding an iPod 12 shirtless. He spent this entire year indoors until he started talking to the little hats in his room and named them. He claimed that they gave him stat bonuses. (laughs) Ah. I stand by these stat bonuses. I feel my uh, dexterity is tangibly higher in the Doomsday hat. I feel my wisdom go down in the Black Panther hat. I think that is me becoming some kind of hotep. <laughs> no, don't. Don't worry, oh, don't worry. God, I'm we... not going to nick cannon on you people. <laughs> oh, man. And there it and there it is. I knew it was going to fucking come up in this episode, and here it is. Okay, I, I just I just had to get this one off my chest. I don't know what it is in the human DNA sequence that as soon as you've gone one point right past Ronald Reagan, you just start thinking the Jews. <laughs> <laughs> like, where is that hidden? Because in other, like, fucking modes of going crazy, it's more idiosyncratic and individual. But everyone, like, unless you are, like, an Israeli Zionist, you will start believing in in fucking anti-Semitic Jewish conspiracy theories when you go right. And I don't know why that's the brand, why that's universal tick. I mean, in this case, I've got two fucking words for you, and you know them well. 
<laughs> Louis Farrakhan. Oh, God, Louis fucking Farrakhan. He is a problem almost the size of fucking Godzilla. Our first fucking thing here. Fuck Louis Farrakhan. Our first fucking thing here. <laughs> other than fuck Louis Farrakhan. Our first film under discussion. That's right. It's a Japanese film. It counts. Eat my ass. Shin Godzilla. Oh, right. Directed by Hideaki Anno, who is related to anime in a way that... You, you know what? You know what? If you don't know, go on Wikipedia. Fuck it. Fuck it. I'm not making excuses for you people anymore. Actually, I'm going to be a little more human than that. Hideaki Anno directed Neon Genesis Evangelion, which is the story of a young boy trying to find his dog. It's honestly the story of anime in the 21st century, because... Mm. Anime in the 21st century began with Neon Genesis Evangelion, whether you liked it or not. That is true. That is true. It is the root of a lot of things that you either enjoy or hate or simply notice about anime. It's just in the fucking DNA. It's, uh, we could do an episode about it, I guess. I don't know. I don't know that we really need to do an episode about Neon Genesis Evangelion. I don't really know what I could bring to that conversation. I'm sure you could find, you know, something pithy. But um, besides that, I don't know, I know. I've been in the fucking stand-up clubs long enough, or I was in another life where I went outside, that I live in perpetual <sighs> fear of a fucking lemon. I wonder if any jokes I have in my mind or heart about neon fucking Genesis Evangelion would not be considered a lemon. But yeah, that is our uh, our man's pedigree here. He was in charge he of that. He did that. Series. He also did Nadia, which um, I have not watched, but Morgan has, and they claim that it is a delightful series. Oh, okay. He so didn't that's like working on it, though. He didn't like working on it? No. No, he uh he he chafed underneath all the uh, studio uh, mandates, and apparently he got so frustrated that he went and <laughs> Evan Kelly. <laughs> oh wow, that is uh so that's like a that's... story arc he went through. He went through a journey there. <laughs> and he just copy pasted the main character's uh, character design. You know, you look at Nadia; she's just Shinji, except you know she has darker skin and is you know a girl. <laughs> That is really fucking amusing. It's really funny, yeah. Um, so that, that that's a fun little Evangelion fun fact that I I want to say forty percent of Evangelion fans probably know. Other fun mm. facts: Hideaki Anno kind of hates being Hideaki Anno. Oh yeah, yeah. He would trade places with a lot of people. Every time they ask him to be a creator about things, he tells them to fuck off and <laughs> figure it out for themselves. He's like the anti-J.K. Rowling. His what do you stance... mean with this scene? I don't know, I made it 16 years ago. It's an elevator. Listen, I don't know what the fuck it means. I was in the middle of a dissociative episode, and we had run over budget by... I don't even remember how much anymore. So yeah, they were in the elevator for a little while. You wanna fuck off? Do you know how much money we had left? Have you ever learned just what gun your producer carries, like, just the gun that he owns. I learned what gun my producer owned. I can't believe I had them do the dance fight. <laughs> uh, I had to do pencil sketches of Shinji in episode 25, just floating across a white background. You think I wanted that? Do you think this is my dream for my career? So, uh, should we introduce... Actually, the nice thing about Shin Godzilla is that it's not really attached to any continuity stuff. It's uh, it's Godzilla. You know Godzilla? 
you know, he's this fun little metaphor for whatever, you know, giant disaster happened a couple of years ago. Fantastic. You know Godzilla. Uh, in this case, uh, Godzilla is the Fukushima disaster. There. Done. Good. Cool. Um, yeah, and, and it's a nice metaphor choice, too, because it keeps them in the whole atomic orbit as we were originally associated with fear of the bomb. Well, I shouldn't say yeah. fear. It's really, it is really natural to feel uneasy about the bomb. Its predecessors, its sequel, the hydrogen bomb. You know what I never got about the fucking hydrogen bomb? I was thinking about this the other day. I was watching this fucking documentary. Just, But when it comes to hydrogen bomb and just every nuclear weapon we've invented that wasn't just a distribution system, but just like a bigger bomb. Mm-hmm. Remember Magic the Gathering? Like just that thing we blew like 15 bucks a week on for a while? Yes, I figure I'd have I I figure my net worth would be about like 1.3 times what it is now had I not been into Magic the Gathering. Yeah, that thing uh that thing changes autobiographies, but one critique people always had for Magic decks is like to avoid going like win more of cards, like just a card that you're already winning but you wouldn't win more, but it wouldn't help you if you were losing. And that's how I always felt about the fucking hydrogen bomb. Like, what? Are you going to nuke them into space twice? <laughs> What's the fucking point? Are you trying to blow the Atmo off? Do you just hate mountains? <laughs> I hate mountains. Don't we all hate mountains? Um, fuck sp- those things. Fuck those things in the face. By the way, spoiler, Shin Godzilla, Shin Gojira, however you're supposed to fucking say it. Very good time. I love oh, it's so fucking great. capital I, L this movie. I love when the world sends me shit like this like something real fucking meaty that i can sink my teeth into it's like it's like the equal and opposite of worry no sarah oh yeah if that is a big bag of like fucking ruffles or something then this is prime rib it's so juicy it's got so much to it that i can just really just get into it's great yeah, it is a, i've been excited for this smart episode. movie it's a engaging movie it's a very interestingly shot movie in terms of some stylistic stuff especially in the the way it plays things in the first third i thought i mean it doesn't like fall off it just it does a specific thing i like in the first third which i guess i'll just start talking there instead of leaving that point to dangle not going back to it which is a way of taking events that are very dramatic and just not shooting them in a dramatic way throughout the first third of this like it just like almost downplaying it with the shot that i just loved watching Oh, just when when Godzilla himself is just first introduced in all his glory, just, oh, wow, there he is. Just, he's there. Yeah, yeah, I'm not even sure he's, like, initially even centered in the shot. It is just a thing that is already unfolding. It's scarier this way. Uh, Like, they could have done all these fucking tricks. Like, they could have tilted up. They could have, you know, just... Uh, you know, expanded the camera. Or they could have done all of this shit, but they just cut to him real fast, you know, without warning. Um, just being there, being huge in the middle of the shot with his giant fucking fish eyes. <laughs> and and it was immensely unsettling. I, I wasn't actually ready for how scary this movie was going to be at times. Um, not, not constantly, certainly, but when it fucking wanted to, it was a fucking nightmare. And again, Hideaki Anno, what the fuck did I expect? They had a built-in challenge in that after, I don't know how many movies as the sort of de facto face against Mothra and the like, you have to run past people who have essentially have Godzilla as a Superman figure since they were a kid. And you need a design that achieves that. And boy, did they gun for one. <sighs> yeah, man. 
Godzilla, actual spoiler here, not just me abusing the phrase, like his gimmick in this one is that he evolves, right? Mm-hmm. So they start him out as this unrecognizable snakefish fucking thing. That just has these gills that it bleeds out of because... And you know, just it's 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 it's, it's fucking Hideakiano because of of course it has gills that it bleeds out of. It's an angel. Yeah, yeah, and I know we make fun of at the mountains of madness here, but looking at how unnerving this very specific thing with describable traits is, really just sticks the point there to the whole unknowable, unfathomable versus Jesus Christ, what the fuck is that? Why did? Why did a tadpole fuck a snake? Who did this? <laughs> Jumping off the whole Godzilla and how he is shot, right? Um, is all the scenes with the humans, with the human characters, and how they are shot. Oh, wonderful, wonderful in this. Like The way that they do it is they put you like right the fuck in there with these really claustrophobic shots uh, that make you feel uh, like you can't get a word in edgewise. And that's perfect, because that's exactly what that what that you know sort of half of the movie is about is about fucking rando um rando yaguchi i believe is the is the main character's name uh-huh. who kind of is right about all of this uh right and um he's just completely fucking shut out of the conversation for like the first half or so oh yeah the there's movie. this wonderful satirical thread satirical i guess maybe just thesis to this fucking film yeah which is just about bureaucracy and where it does and doesn't work yeah, for the first, I want to say, 40 minutes or so of this film, it's just the cabinet ministers squabbling over whose jurisdiction this is, uh, if it's even real, if it's going to respond to X, you know, whether we should evacuate or not, you know, and, and the yeah. pros and cons of doing literally fucking everything except instead of, you know, actually just doing them as the entire Japanese diet just gets fucking gridlocked by itself. There's this phrase I like to abuse when it comes to writing this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It's usually in a comparative sense. It was in isolation for one film here, which is just closest without going over. Yes. And what I love about the satirical thread in this, and it's going to sound weird because in my own sense of humor, I tend to go big, and in my own satirical work, I tend to go big, but they play the bureaucratic problem here without going capital I on the word inept. Yes. Like, it feels like a uh, rendition of a government trying to react to Godzilla as opposed to him standing up and saying, this is the worst fucking response anyone has had to a disaster in their goddamn lives. It definitely feels like a condemnation, right, of the Japanese diet and their response to the Fukushima disaster. And I think there was... Oh, um, I think there was, like, another disaster that this is also sort of a reaction to. Like, there was another earthquake a, a year later, I think. But, yeah, like like you said, it's not just, you know, big neon, do you see how fucked this is? So much as it is just a whole bunch of somewhat competent people in a room together accomplishing nothing. And, man, if you had any type of org role corporate role, managerial position, underfoot position, you can just feel this problem not getting solved in real time in those fucking scenes. It's great. I think it also manages to be kind of a fun satire of, like, a specifically kind of 
Japanese problem or what you know Anna sort of sees as a uniquely Japanese problem which is like you have a room full of old people and young people and half of what's going on is the old people are telling the young people to shut the fuck up that is very interesting about it normally when I say you couldn't make a movie in America or something that would be some kind of implied insult. Yeah, you can't. You can't make this. But uh, yeah, we just have different cultural problems. Like we would yes. be going off half cocked in three minutes. No one has any idea what Godzilla actually is. They dust a random other thing that looks sort of like a lizard. <laughs> they get on an aircraft carrier that says "Mission Accomplished." Okay, I kind of want to make an American version of this movie now. Hold on, what was I talking about? Oh, every time they fucking try, though, it turns into the stupid fucking Bush era bullshit. Yeah. Like, remember the one yeah. in 2014 where, you know, like the human element is just Aaron Taylor Johnson being good soldier man and it was boring as fuck? They really had a misfire on that fucking one. That was an incredible. When I call it an incredible piece of shit, that's. Perhaps it's not so much a depth of failure as a breadth of failure in that project. Like, there just were not interesting things within it. It's weird. That guy went on to do Rogue One, and I fucking loved Rogue One. It's just, I don't know, he was just not fucking suited to Godzilla. Or maybe Godzilla is just not suited to the U.S.? I don't know. I know, but maybe Godzilla is not that suited to suits, because all three of the sort of failed stateside Godzilla flicks are real. You can feel the fucking re-edits in those. Yeah, okay. I, I did not see uh, King of Monsters. I had people tell me that it was uh, horrible. I had people tell me that it was the best fucking shit ever. I was down on King of Monsters. It had that fucking monster movieverse thing where they're really more interested in getting that fucking sequel. Oh, so it's like Godzilla King of Monsters 1. Like, then yeah. there's like the implicit one at the end there. Yeah. <laughs> it also more than a lot of things and every legacy thing has this risk or thing beating under it it had that thing of the fucking inmates running the asylum where someone says the word mothra and it's supposed to be significant like you you haven't done anything yet you you, you mm. haven't made it significant it has to actually be significant in the fucking thing you're doing that kind of brand of fan service I don't want to call it Marvel fan service, but like kind of, I, I sort of have to because they, I feel like as much as I love those movies, they kind of popularized it a little bit. I mean, bit. it's a thing. I love the Dark Knight Returns leads to a whole dog fucks trend in comics. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> so I think you could like call that tendency like Marvel fan service in a way. Marvel fan service. Yeah. Not fan service in the sort of anime way where, you know, it's just. The, the, the character's panties or something. I don't know. She's 15. Why are you quite... Um, <laughs> but no, just, you know, someone, you know, like the, the Winter Soldier, right? Where, you know, he's rattling off the list of potential targets and one of them is Doctor Strange. Like that. Yeah. That, that, that kind of fan service. Advertising of all things actually has a great term for this problem. They call it borrowed interest. Yes, I remember reading about, uh, like, specifically the idea of borrowed interest or, like, um, kind of pre, like, a pre-callback or pre-recognition or something like that. Uh, there, there, there are other, I mean, it's not quite the same thing. It's a similar concept that works hand-in-hand hand with borrowed interest. And you get the idea. It's essentially when you bring in or reference something, but the construct itself hasn't, like, achieved, like, the basic goals or level of interest. Like, it's 
It's kind of cheating. It's kind of cheating, yeah, yeah. It's why yeah. the majority of celebrity cameos fizzle out. Yes. Which is funny because that's one of the most expensive ways to make an ad. Just borrowing 10 minutes of Arnold Schwarzenegger's time. As he squints at a cue card. <laughs> well, that's not fair to him as an actor. He is weirdly... Not weirdly, he drives hard at everything. It's... Including infidelity. But, uh... <laughs> Honestly, at this fucking point... Isn't relativity great? 2020. Yeah, no, it's just like, okay, you cheated on your wife. Who... <laughs> Yeah, like, yeah. Shame on you. <laughs> you did a bad thing. You did Arnold. a bad thing. If Melania showed up tomorrow missing one finger, no one would say a goddamn word. <laughs> All right, so I wanna, I, I wanna go back to Shin Godzilla here mm-hmm. and talk about my favorite scene uh, from the movie. All right, I guess like my two favorite scenes from that. Well, we go. Now it is my favorite scene because it comes. It's, it's these two scenes kind of together, but it's the second one that I like the most, right? Okay. Getting towards the end of the movie, right? It is sort of decided by the UN Security Council that the only way to destroy this thing is uh, with nuclear weapons, right? Uh, and the problem is that it's right smack dab in the middle of fucking Tokyo. So um, detonating a nuclear warhead to destroy Godzilla would also mean detonating a nuclear warhead to destroy Tokyo, this is a city and a people who are really not interested in having a nuclear weapon detonated on their soil for the third time. It's not their favorite thing. <laughs> uh, so there's this... But, but, but the problem is that it's, this thing is just going to fucking destroy everything. It's going to... Like, it needs to go. So, you know, and in, in the absence of a better idea, which, you know, they do have or they do end up having and they do end up, you know, enacting and it works. But that hasn't happened yet, you know, insofar as the scene, right? In the absence of a better idea, they're like, I guess we have to do this. And then there's this great scene with the acting prime minister, right? Because most of the Japanese diet died uh, when Godzilla shot uh, fire for the first time. It was really fucking cool. <laughs> Godzilla-related complications. Yes. Uh, so the acting prime minister relates to, I think, an aide or something like that, that he has to um, create a special law that makes it legal for him to ask the United States to nuke Japan again. And I cannot fucking imagine just being a um, just a Japanese person watching this movie in theaters and just being able to fucking get through that scene without like my skin fucking crawling like i don't know i i don't want to make any assumptions about like cultural trauma or generational trauma from japan or whatever but like good fucking lord it, it seemed to me like it would be an extremely difficult uh, scene to get through especially if you're a little bit on the older side i think to achieve the same effect you would have to using the magic of cgi have robert e lee gently drag the edge of both testes against the wooden teeth of Abraham Lincoln as Abraham just sits there and takes it. That would only work north of the Mason-Dixon line, but whatever. I know. Here in America, we're pretty good at uh, at making scenes like that. Um, I think Jane going chained is a pretty great example of that. Just... Did you watch that one? I did watch Django Unchained. That was a really fun oh, movie. What was that? 
Yeah. It was fun of uh, a lot of the kind of things I like, which is a my review of a lot of Quentin Tarantino movies. Almost feels fast off for me to review them because I'm basically the target audience in terms of my likes and dislikes in media. Mm-hmm. I am a consistent preacher to the choir. And I see what you mean. It does sort of pick at America's scabs regarding the slavery. Yes. It was not actually that scene. Like, that scene's fucking great and heavy and fucking heartbreaking. And then it's the scene afterwards, right? So, Randu Yaguchi, right? The hero of the movie has sort of just assembled this team of uh, nerds, basically, uh, to help come up with an actual solution where, you know, we don't have to fucking sacrifice everything in order to beat this thing. Um, and they're sort of halfway through finding one. Like, they've decoded a whole bunch about the monster thus far and are kind of, they're well on their way to finding a solution, but they're not there yet. And then. Uh, Yaguchi gets the call that this is what's going to happen. The U.S., I believe, is going to drop a thermonuclear nuclear bomb on Tokyo and destroy the city uh, with the aim of destroying the monster. And you get this great scene. So, pause for a second. Everyone knows that Hideaki Anno is fantastic at directing mental illness. Like, it's practically why Evangelion exists. Iri and Jikui say it is known. Yes, I mean, like, Shin Godzilla is obviously about different shit, but this scene, right, when, when they learn that Japan's about to be nuked for a third time, right, everyone in the room uh, gets this tight-ass close-up, uh, like, they're the only one there, and it feels like they're having this collective panic attack, because that's what a panic attack, at least in my experience, feels like. It feels like it's uh, the world that exists is just you and this sort of about, like, six-inch radius around your head. And that is where the camera is for that whole scene as everyone freaks the fuck out. Like, they do it in a, this kind of very, you know, <laughs> professional, sort of controlled way. But it's just everyone on this team saying, in not in so many words, what the fuck are you doing? I, I couldn't fucking believe how much I love this scene. Like, how much this scene fucking just hit me. It's just like you and the knowledge that you are about to be destroyed, right? That's what a panic attack really is, and it's perfect. I couldn't let this episode be recorded without me talking about that scene in particular and how fucking great it is. Like, I, I'm still fucking geeking out over that scene, you know, like a, a week, two weeks after we watched that movie. It's got legs. It's got legs. You know who has weird fucking legs, by the way? Just to go back to Monster Design for one second. Fucking Godzilla in this. All the little evolution sequences or the thing trying to learn how to move or exist things are just... I guess I like that kind of thing. I liked how that was done in this movie. Mm -hmm. His old wobbly balancing... Not wobbly thing, but he, he... He does that fucking dipping bird upright thing and it looks off in the correct way. Yes. I really enjoy that, but maybe I should focus a little more on the human experience of this movie. Like English. English in this movie. Like English wanna, in this movie is really want to kind of compliment sandwich this. It's really interesting because there is one character who is supposed to be an American liaison. And she <laughs> has far and away out of everyone that speaks English in this movie, the worst English. And it's really funny. <laughs> it is really entertaining. I just love the idea that, I mean, like, I, I, I'm not part of the intended audience for this movie, right? You know, I am an American. I speak English as a first language. But I love the idea that, you know, your average viewer in Japan is going to look at her and be like, yes, 
I buy that this is her first language. Um, like they look at this um, cradle to grave Japanese citizen speaking as such, and there are just bald eagles coming out of her ears. It kind of you know makes you understand, you know, when you have a- an American flick, right, and you know someone speaking you know some other language in an American flick, or just. You know, as long as they're speaking whatever language, it doesn't really matter what dialect it is. Like, who cares about that shit? It's not like an English audience is going to know. Like, uh, someone who's, you know, supposed mm-hmm. to be Algerian or whatever, but speaks very clearly, like, Canadian, French, that sort of thing. And and that's sort of, like, what's going on in, uh, in Shin Godzilla, especially. <laughs> and the thing is, um, the thing is, it's not just this character. I think her name is, um... Kaoko, uh, like Kaoko, and then like she has this uh, kind of vaguely um, American last name, Kaoko Ann it's... Patterson. There we go, Kaoko Ann Patterson, <laughs> who tells Randu Yaguchi that she's going to be the president of the United States one day. She, the character has to have like a last name that belongs on like a one American news report, or like on a uh, on a bill, like a like a not a dollar bill that's that's George Washington, but you know on a on a money notes when the fuck do you call like paper money notes bills we don't use specie a note a note money right yeah i don't think so jesus yeah okay so (laughs) besides that you do have actually american actors in this film playing oh yeah little drive-by roles they play the cabinet members there are a few that stand behind kayoko sometimes just members of the american government right and um their dialogue is written in English by Hideaki Anno, who does not speak English. And it's fascinating sort of watching someone's imagination or imagining rather of how English is spoken because no one fucking talks like this ever I would in the have United just States. dubbed over their voices with monster trucks and crying eagles, but that's the Dale directorial technique. I think someone refers to Kayoko, like, to her face, you know, sort of paying her, like, a compliment. And he, he says, you know, kind of just breezing through it that uh, you and your fastidious career that you have had. Uh, oh, yeah, that I remember my head just making that little 25-degree <laughs> tilt it does when something is slightly off. And, like, I understand, like, why this is the way it is. And, on, and just so we're clear, this is not like a knock against this movie it's a fantastic movie it's more just just an interesting sort of you know ah, people are sometimes we just like to look at curios on weeaboo hell and honestly translation is a huge thing in this whole corner of nerddom anyway so it's kind of interesting to look at how it plays out here yes and it sort of like makes me wonder just how many times again dialogue has been written in some other language in an american production right and how it's like what the fuck are you talking about given our very inward gaze i imagine a lot of our production have dialogue that sounds something in the vein of it is time to bingle our bongles let's work from down to the hammer shammery <laughs> yes something something to that effect yes there we shall be shabongled I read a lot of Dr. Seuss coming up. It's pretty obvious right now. I'm a big butter <laughs> battle book kind of guy. Oh, my favorite one was um, 
I think it was if I ran the zoo. Just like, I don't know, just like a big fucking gallery of just weird shit. Just uh, every time you fucking turn the page, there's some more fucking weird shit at this zoo. <laughs> if there's a another mode of realism, not one that really matters in any way, shape, or form. Just, just a semi-gag on my part, but it was just in my head when I was watching it. Mm-hmm. When the American contingent is uh, inserted into the film, they mention that they are from the Department of Energy. Kayoko's from the Department of Energy. I feel like and how this would really shake out, no matter how directly related to atomic energy and its implications it was, she would get halfway through her sentence when a version of her with a scar running down the side of her face walks up behind her, does a dry neck-snapping motion. <laughs> and says, I'm from the State Department. <laughs> I'm from the State Department, and I'm in charge of this room right now. <laughs> Is that understood? <laughs> oh, shit, we don't really have a State Department anymore. That's a tomorrow problem. This, 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 we'll, fucking, we'll fucking handle it. You know, maybe... <laughs> I did actually find it pretty interesting, though, that he chose it to be the Department of Energy here. I actually wonder uh, how much research went into that decision, like, figuring out, like, okay, who who would honestly be involved in an event like this? That's an interesting question. You know, completely I, fucking unprecedented. I kind of took it to be part of the movie's preoccupations between the Fukushima yeah, thing exactly. and everything else, so... I just sort of... It almost feels like a diegetic metaphor. Yeah, I sort of just bumped over it as part of uh, what we're up to. Yeah. I, I did really love those first 25 minutes where they just keep wondering if they need to call the JSDF or not. That's wonderful. Every like, time yes. in the early part of Disaster where they're just talking about jurisdiction and red tape and not offending other government departments as the lizard monster, not stomps, slither crushes its way through the city. Yeah, it's, it's like not it's not stopping at all throughout this entire fucking thing. It's just it just keeps fucking going. And you know, you know, he suggests oh, maybe okay, in fairness, I think it's before it makes landfall or whatever, but Randy Yaguchi, right? suggests like oh maybe it's a creature or something like that and then this old fuck turns to him and says this is an official meeting minutes are kept that was wonderful. show some respect and it was i think my favorite single line of that movie not just because it was just very just unironically funny but because of how frustratingly plausible that line is it's really well done. I also love whichever A or B or C grade actor delivered it. Yes. Thank you for your um, contribution to my day and to our collective culture. I guess Hayao Miyazaki was in this film. Like, he played one of the nerds. I, I probably should have recognized him. He's very recognizable. I bet if I went back and watched the movie knowing that he's in it, I'd been like, oh, shit, there. It's fucking Hayao Miyazaki. How's your cat? Well, the nice thing about being a famous director instead of a famous actor is that you also still get to sort of walk down some streets. Without getting fuel tackled. Yeah. I feel like... Fuck, I don't know what Michael Bay I feel like, like that happens with a lot of them. If you're Marty Scorsese, though, everyone fucking knows who you look like. I bet yeah. I bet he has problems walking down Scorsese the street. Like Martin Scorsese and Tarantino fucking done. Tarantino. That's it. It might have to do with them also being relatively vocal examples. Oh, yeah, they give, like, all sorts of fucking interviews and, you know... 
Tarantino is very loud and will lambast an interviewer for asking him a boring question. Amazing. <laughs> I'm trying to think if there are any like newer directors who are just instantly recognizable for you know, whatever reason. Um, uh, off the top of my head, uh, Greta Gerwig maybe. She stars or you know is just in a number of the movies that she's directed. She's huh. uh, I don't know. Um, but I'm, I'm I'm mostly just thinking about motherfucking Martin Scorsese or uh, or Tarantino. Just you know those you know them. Yeah, yeah, it's an interesting thing. It's Steven Spielberg. Everyone knows what Steven Spielberg looks like. George Lucas, I have fucking George Lucas. Yeah, carved throughout various phases. Now, I'm I'm trying not to jump the gun here. Hmm. Because I love our part two thing so much. I want yeah. to introduce it a certain way that okay. will perhaps earn me thirteen man child points. Okay. In the second longest relationship I was ever in, the breaking point was when I took someone to see a movie. It turns out they did not want to see at all. And they were just seething the entire time. And afterwards, in their head, they thought, we're done. And it was a period that meant a lot to me. But that movie was Pacific Rim. And in the aftermath of the whole thing, I just thought, still worth it. Still worth it. That was so cool. I really love Pacific Rim. I know I cape for cynical things really hard, often even in my own work or whatever, but the thread of heroism executed just right lifts up a thing that you in me didn't that, think was there the, anything that i just thought that was like abandoned after you know you have to learn your times tables yeah i i would agree like pacific rim for me can like engender reactions i didn't think i could you know tap into after puberty i almost feel half of how much i absolutely adore this movie has to do with just how fucking grateful I am for it. And I, I, I have to imagine that I'm not alone in that. Just thank you, Papa Guillermo. <laughs> <laughs> just for fucking making this, you know, for me. Specifically for me. It felt like a gift. I think we might be just starved of the action speculative fiction story with scope in that sort of heroic journey thrust. Not the hero's journey, but like just a heroic journey. Like, mm-hmm. there is something about when you do that just right that it's almost like you've spun another myth. Yes, uh, and Pacific Rim always felt like that to me. And you always just wish that there was more of it. Too bad that they never made a really, really shitty sequel to this. Oh yeah, it'd be really weird if they made a really, really shitty sequel to this. Like a really, really shitty sequel. Like waste, wasted an actor <laughs> that I really like. Yeah, it would be weird if they wasted someone like with the ability and range of John Boyega. Or that, That's almost as weird as this, like they made a really, really shitty sequel to Avatar. We're on this now? Yeah, okay, fine. We're on this now. Yeah, yeah it's, uh, I don't know. I guess I'll just have to sort of accept that, you know, Avatar The Last Airbender, you know, we got three seasons of it. We got 60 episodes of it. That's all the story is. That's all the story is ever going to be. There wasn't... You know, we didn't really get to see, like, where the world went, you know, after that. But honestly, I don't, 
I don't feel as though we really needed to. I guess not everything needs to fulfill the Abed Nadir prophecy, six seasons and a movie. And a movie. But yeah, Pacific Rim. Or so, seven seasons and a movie. This one I think I should introduce. Uh, this one I think I should introduce because while it was somewhat successful, it was not, I don't know, ubiquitous. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people know of Pacific Rim, but I can't imagine that, like, everyone is like, okay, so choose the basic premise. Oh, yeah, yeah. You, you actually, I, I did it last time. You do it this time, yeah. Pacific Rim is a dual tribute to Mecha and Kaiju media. I mean, there's a huge overlap. I should Maybe I should just say Mecha, but whatever. Yeah. And essentially with all the Hollywood trappings, in a good way, There, I'm sure there's a terrible version of this movie. There's a terrible sequel. There you go. Paints a setting where mankind is pushed to the brink by these Kaiju attacks and sort of one vision of how that would actually play out. Mm-hmm. And the conceit, right, is that they built giant fucking robots. The conceit. In order to fight them. And this is the buy-in. I don't know. I think if you can't get past this hump, then maybe something in you is like, I I don't know why you're watching this movie. But the buy-in of this movie is that the people of the world came together and said, there's only one option. (laughs) (laughs) We gotta build some giant fucking robots. So I assume, I only assume that someone took out a folder that is clearly older than this crisis. <laughs> with a pitch for this response to this situation, it's just, it's just the word "robots" is very crudely written on it in crayon. There's a whole lot of files dating back from when the guy who wrote all of this was three years old. There are there are already He's names. He's been waiting his entire fucking life. <laughs> there are names. He went to art school. A prime minister deeply <gasps> inhaled and said. Take out everything you put in here before you were 17 and we can talk. <laughs> and the guy will just say, that is fair. Uh, what what I absolutely love about this movie, I mean, I love pretty much everything about it. Uh, what I love is how it makes no fucking apologies. Like, it is every bit as cheesy as you expect a movie with this fucking concept to be oh yeah it is all the way over the top honestly the way that some characters are slotted into their roles this could have been animated incredibly easily i mean i'm glad it's not because they made this thing look great yes but this very easily could have been like a cell animated thing it just knows and you know del toro knew right that there's no getting around how silly this all is so he just decided well, fuck it we'll lean into it uh we'll we'll have everyone take it amazingly seriously I, even though like and everyone's like kind of having fun with their performance too like i want to I, I of course you know idris elba is the standout here right just that that fucking finger shake that he does to charlie day just cracks me up every fucking time oh idris uh, elba uh, and charlie day really just double underline the fact that they are money in this movie Yes, but I do want to give Charlie Hunnam a little bit of a shout-out and his, like, fucking dumb 90s uh, disaster film performance that he gives. Yeah. Where he actively seems to be trying to sound like a uh, a dub voice actor. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of the dialogue does come across like the English dub of a Japanese property because Guillermo del Toro is an amazing, beautiful, crazy person. He knows what the fuck he's talking about. He knows what he's doing. You actually sort of get that kind of, you know, those original, you know, 11 herbs and spices <laughs> in this movie uh, from from all that. 
And it's um it's that and other little things. Like this is a really big movie about big shit happening, quite literally. But there's so many little things that they did in this movie that yeah. they didn't have to do. Every little like time they bump the lamp in this one, uh, it's it all adds up, and it just makes the movie feel a little bit more alive. It makes the world feel a little bit more lived in. Specifically, it's the uh, the fact that like practically all of the machinery they're using is analog for whatever reason. I just think that fucking Guillermo del Toro loves just analog equipment. It shows up fucking everywhere yeah. in his shit. Just, you know, from Hellboy to this to Dude, you know, the shape of water. They made it into this movie on a script level where one of the guns are only options because it's analog. Yes, uh, just, just, just stuff things. with physical buttons. They use the word just Stuff with physical buttons that clack real loud when you press them. And you have to turn dials and shit like that. They're kind of rusty. That whole aesthetic. Speaking of feeling just crunch and texture on things, this has one of my uh, grail fight scenes because, uh, I don't know, I'm a fight scene nerd. It's just a steady diet of martial arts films. And yes. The entire gypsy danger versus the two kaiju in Hong Kong sequence. Leatherback and Tadachi. Leatherback Kodachi. and Kodachi. Botachi. Botachi. Flyboy and Big His Boy. His name is Botachi. Is, the, is my point here. It's just one of my all-time favorites. I don't have this list, like, numbered or ranked, so I can't say, like, top 11 or top 2 or some shit, but just the way that... It's up there. It does a lot of things right, particularly the booking not to slip into wrestling purgatory again but but i'm gonna see how long you can describe without getting into that shit okay in terms of the fight taking place in like two actual physical spaces just the ocean and the city the city half of it uses its backdrop so well for some reason a lot of monster things or robot things struggle with this or don't do that well with this or don't really focus that much on it but it matters so much that this fight is happening in this city Mm-hmm. And the things they do and don't do play off it. And this isn't a plot spoiler. This is a set piece spoiler because sometimes a set piece is cool enough to deserve a spoiler tag. Yeah. The second he has the battleship behind him, <laughs> I knew I had sacrificed this relationship for something that was worth it. <laughs> I think what made this scene so successful, what made this fight scene so successful, um, th- there's the booking aspect, yes, and I guess I'm the one who breaks this. <laughs> I- I'm the one who brings it up first. There's the booking aspect, yes. I want to say that it's the use of color in this movie, specifically, like color and scale, but specifically color. In another movie, right? Another you know version of this movie or just another movie kind of like this one right right? a hypothetical movie right that comes out around this time right sure straw man movie right this was i want to say like during that span of about like six or seven yeah like six or seven years or so it might have been even longer than that where we just fucking loved the color brown uh gray core here's the straw man to use it's like any of the fucking transformers movies Let's talk about the first one because it's the one that the most people have seen, I figure, right? You know, sort of, you know, sort of dusty brown, you know, final action set piece that was, you know, the final action (laughs) set piece of Transformers versus, you know, this 
the the first of two big ass fucking set pieces in the second half or so of this movie uh and how you instead of browns you get like these great blues and reds and greens and uh purples all over the it's fucking great place. how it's like a capital b blue robot against a capital g green monster in this fucking technicolor version of hong kong or maybe hong kong is technicolor i haven't been there and now i won't get to be there that was me uh, snapping my fingers in, uh, you know, kind of frustration. <laughs> but yeah, what it does of color adds a lot to this scene. I, I also love that little choice, and I'm again, I'm getting on like the little things, just like the stupid little fucking gag with the Newton's cradle. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. That w- it wouldn't have been in a more serious movie, but Guillermo del Toro knows how silly this all is, so he's like, "Fuck it, let's put in a silly fucking I gag." I probably should here. explain it. It's a simple thing. After some, I don't know, punch, kick, claw, bite, they bump up against a building. You see things get crushed and then shoved and then jostled, and then a Newton's cradle on the opposite side of the building just gets gently knocked, and the balls move. And that was <laughs> and it's great. Joke. It's this nice little fucking like, <laughs> and you know, I'm I'm picturing Del Toro just kind of writing it into the script, just as a joke for himself, just to sort of get himself through that page. Just you know, I figured you know maybe he was feeling like kind of a slog that day as he was writing it, so he just you know writes a joke as a treat for himself, and like the fucking joke makes it into the final cut of the movie. That's that's my little pet theory on that joke and how it ended up there. It works. It works. I also like the bulldog. Obvious. I mean, like, this is no I surprise. I mean, you like given it's all me. dogs. The dog could have a swastika cart and decide if it's fur. And you say, yeah, but it's not focused on the swastika in every shot. You know, you can look around it. Well, no, if it was a Yorkie with a swastika carved into it, then you know, I wouldn't be so forgiving. Well, I mean, you argue that Yorkies are outside the category of dogs, so I know I'm playing by your rules here. Oh, man, I might have even done it on this show. Yeah, 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 dude. <laughs> I can't remember. The Yorkie owners might be almost as offended as the police officers, fuck 12, that <laughs> have been subjected <laughs> to the last, uh, you know, few evers of content on this program, fuck 12. So we <laughs> have certain <laughs> alienating <laughs> tendencies. You know, there was a pretty sizable right-wing contingent in this fandom, by the way, so we have really made a conscious choice here, and that's very amusing to me. I would rather be an anime pig than an anime fascist. I dig that. Guys, remember Porco Rosso? He says that? Cool. All right, fine. Yeah, remember that? The whole Miyazaki thing? You're you're into anime, please believe us. (laughs) So the fucking bulldog that's just fucking there as just this character accessory to the two Australians. And it's... You're not really sure why it's so perfect, but it is. Like, it's just this big fucking slobbery motherfucker, noticeably unneutered. These sort of adventure sweep things. I think that character tags and economy are worth their weight in gold. Yeah, absolutely. You know, when you only have, you know in the grand scheme of things, like maybe like 15 minutes of screen time. If you know, if you add it all up, you know, it's, it's always less than you think and it the is. Bulldog does do a good job of establishing these guys are these guys. And they have this hard edge thing about them. Sort of bulldog logo, this soft edge thing about them. They carry this thing around everywhere. Yes. And then you can have them start doing the things they need to do in the movie. Yes. I kind of like how, um, the younger Hanson, um, for, for whatever re- reason, for whatever reason, I like 
there's Hercules Hansen because you got like the whole alliteration thing, and I cannot actually remember his his kid's name. I just I, I remember his character very well. He's a very memorable character. Cannot remember his first name, right? Um, so he um, he's Oscar, right? Like he's supposed to be Oscar. It can be argued whether he is archetypically Asuka or it is just her psychic imprint on robot things. But it could be. I, it could be that I was looking for her and found her in him. But it is definitely there if you want to find it. And I don't know, Guillermo is enough of a robot head. I could see him putting a distaff in there. Oh, he loves Evangelion. It's like one of his favorite fucking things. He like he wanted to make an Evangelion movie at one point. I'm pretty sure. He definitely picks up the Asuka ball of lighting up some scenes. Like, I, I think his name was attached to a potential live-action Evangelion project and something like 10 years ago or so. I mean, it, it never happened because, you know, you know how these things go. But you could tell from just fucking watching this movie, Guillermo del Toro adores Evangelion. Uh... The name you are trying to summon from the rift is. He's called. He's a Chuck Hansen. Chuck Hansen. Chuck Hansen. There we go. Yes. <laughs> That's a great name. Fuck. Do we need? To, do we even need to talk about you know like Ron Perlman in this? Like he's fucking Ron Perlman. What else is there to Ron say? Ron Perlman has a role halfway between gag and exposition, which sounds like a dig, but he hits it on the ideal point. Yeah, because everyone knows what the fuck movie they're in, and they, like, decide to have as much fun with it as possible. It is a very uh, nice, high-key, light-scenery-chewing performance. Uh, so do we, uh, do we address the Elbefent in the room? <laughs> <laughs> Elbefent? Because, like, I don't know what else needs to be said at this point. What needs to be said is that his fucking performance in this is what you could keep in the back of your mind the next time you roll a paladin in a given role-playing game and you will take over <laughs> that fucking campaign and they will thank you for being there <laughs> and it makes it all the more frustrating that that dark tower adaptation was just laden with just pre-production level problems mm, it's fascinating it's most of this movie right most of the acting in this movie is just these actors having all sorts of fun with their roles right and here you've got Idris Elba, who is doing two things at the same time that almost seem like they are not compatible with one another, where he is taking this role so immensely seriously and having so much fun with it, too. <laughs> like, for instance, the finger wag thing, where it's like, you, shut up, you, finger wag, keep talking, um, and... And it's, it's 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 very very clear right there that he's probably like as soon as they cut, you know, he cracks up, and he probably cracked up at least a couple times when delivering that line. It's probably not the first take, or or maybe it is. He's a great he's actor. A great actor. Uh, you know, we've talked about so many uh, acting and choreography and composition level things. I probably should just point out that I think the script of this thing is very economical. I think I keep pointing toward things like character tags or clipping through things at a nice pace and i think that it's really a major strength of this film yeah you absolutely are never left like you need more information than you have and uh actually really to this movie's credit right uh this movie needed to drop a whole bunch of really clunky exposition on you just to sort of get you know the fucking premise across right it's a, it's a big fucking anime-esque premise those things yeah it takes time and 
there was no real graceful way for them to do it without taking up a whole bunch of screen time that they didn't fucking have. So what they did was they did, you know, this kind of like the second best way, maybe not even the second best way, but they did it really well. Uh, Like the second or third best way that you can deliver a whole bunch of sci-fi exposition, right? Which is you have someone deliver that exposition while something really exciting is happening. They essentially put all the exposition type narration over the kind of first encounter fight you have to throw in at the start of one of these movies like the initial yeah and like the montage of just you know how you know what happened when the kaiju showed up how the jaegers came to be and you know you get like you know uh, charlie hunnam delivering it and his like stupid fucking anime dub accent (laughs) um and and you're listening it's like you know there's not so much going on on screen that you're not listening to this but you're definitely not bored because oh shit it's a fucking kaiju oh here comes the jaeger right Mm. uh so you have all the information you're kept entertained throughout that whole info dump and by the time they get to um to the title shot you have everything you need and you're like right the fuck here for this thing do you think the word Jaeger is going to become the new word Yggdrasil in terms of just popping up in weeb adjacent things everywhere? I've seen it, what, like twice now? And then I guess one of the, I guess Mark Wahlberg's character from you know the Transformers movie, his name is Jaeger. Um, ah. But who cares? <laughs> I think I've only just seen it uh, in, in the two works. And I think, I think that. I think this movie came out around the same time that I was getting into Attack on Titan too. Like I think the manga started in 2011, the anime adaptation dropped in 2012 or 2013 or so. Oh man, I am no less into it. Oh wait, no, no, we're fucking talking about Attack on Titan again. Oh, we can't. Cool. I'm going to put a coin <laughs> in a physical fucking in a jar. fucking jar. Oh, oh, I'm gonna put the jar by the microphone. I want you people to hear me. I mean business. <laughs> that must have really in that moment felt like that effect where you hear a word for the first time and suddenly it's everywhere. Oh, there's a fucking word for that. Wait, were we just talking about this on another episode or was that just a conversation that I was having with someone in real life? I don't know. I don't know yes. because we've yes, got though. 31 yeah. episodes, baby. <laughs> yeah. We're into the second half of our first 50. Although we were a couple episodes. I don't know. Sorry. 31's. <laughs> It's a larger number than it was an episode ago, but it's not a benchmark anymore, I'm afraid. It's true, it's true, and we even have that thing where now supplements fuck up the whole numbering system. Yeah. That's growth. Oh, well. That's growth. (laughs) I remember, like, listening through the fucking history of Rome, and he goes through, you know, all of the various ways that you could count the various episodes of the history of Rome because you know he broke up the uh, the, the Punic Wars into just two larger you know multi-part episodes and then there are the FAQ episodes and the you know little like oh I wanted to pause right here to take a to take a look at you know what life was like in ancient Rome and if you count all of those then you know, he ends up you know with far more episodes than it actually sit Anyway, yeah, no, that's what happens with podcasts. That's uh, that is a thing that happens with uh, with podcasts. They really, really can challenge your sanity. Also, listen to Mike Duncan's "The History of Rome." It's a very good uh, podcast. Oh yeah, I recommend that shit too. As is Revolutions. Yeah. I'm yeah. a Revolutions junkie. I'm I'm all over that shit. It's a uh, it's my claim. Oh, if it's an so episode good. is late, I was probably listening to Revolutions and thinking, "Why can't it be me? Why isn't it me?" Bum 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 bum. 
beep. Yeah, uh, go I on. I thought you were about to go for lacrimosa instead, but I like the approach you took there. <laughs> mm-hmm. When I talk about the economy of this movie, by the way, you know the whole you've been gone a long time kind of plot thing you kind of got to sort of march through in some narratives? <laughs> <laughs> yep, like this one. We really snapped through that. Oh, yeah, just... Hey, you doing this or what? Nah. Are you sure? Okay. <laughs> cut, and then just cut to him being bad. <laughs> and there, now we're done. I appreciated that about this. I want to find some sort of specific praise to give uh, Rinko Kikuchi in this because she's just wonderful. I, I don't know what else there is to say about it. Or just like about her performance in general. Honestly, she sells some kinds of stuff that I normally glaze out a little. I think there was a, a there was a decent amount of talk around the time this story came out, and I, I I don't know how qualified I am to sort of talk about this sort of thing, but whatever. Where they were talking about you know Mako Mori and her, or her story right in this narrative, as you know like sort of a acceptable or at the very least passable alternative to the Bechdel test. It's it becomes like the Mako Mori test, right? Like the Bechdel test, you know, used the last I don't know how many until since Alison Bechdel came up with it, right? Uh, as a test of whether a work of fiction has you know a believable enough female presence where it needs to have, you know. Two characters who are women, um, who have names, who talk to one another about something other than a man, right? Um, By the way, her comics are that's way more test. fun than they sound like. Are you read this thing like, this is about my dead parent, or this is about me struggling with, you know, homosexuality? My youth. And you go and like, okay, hit me with the MFA shit, let's get through this. And then it's like a, and then you love a fun it. Yeah. comic strip called Dykes with Attitude. Oh, wow, that did not feel right to say in 2020. Hmm. Dykes to watch out for. Dykes to watch out for. Damn it! <laughs> Um, no, and uh, Fun Home fucking ruled. I absolutely adore that graphic novel. Um, the uh, And I guess they, they turn it into a really good musical. I, I don't know. I don't follow Broadway too amazingly closely. Evidently, but I, I, I guess of all t- things, American Psycho and Fun Home made fun musicals. Interesting. So anyway, then you've got like the Mako Mori test. I, I don't know like how much actual acceptance this is found in, you know, whatever circles i guess not a whole ton because i don't hear people talking about it that much uh but you know we bring you the deep cuts on weeaboo hell when when you have you know a um a female character in a work who is uh more or less alone i guess you know like or at least surrounded by a whole bunch of male characters the sort of passable slash acceptable litmus test for still an acceptable slash passable female presence in the film is if the character is able to have a story arc to herself that does not revolve around, you know, her supporting the character arc or goals or whatever of a male character, and that this arc is able to be resolved by her specifically. And this, you know, plays out in, you know, her avenging her dead family by uh, carving up some motherfucking kaiju with the sword that they, you know, like had been keeping keeping in their back pocket for that entire fight. So this fight. is a test that every show we review on Weeaboo Hell meets all the time. Every single one of them. All the time. Again, I don't know really how legit this test is or if it has become, you know, accepted in, you know, the particular circles. Again, However I'm not... However accepted it is or isn't, it is useful for making a point about how this character comes off and works. Yes. I love Mako. I love her arc. I love, you know, that, um... The subdued trauma factory? 
the subject yeah no it's, it's very anime like just, just i mean everything about this is very anime like her and fucking uh rally in particular are just these deeply fucking anime characters yeah her rally pentecost in his own mentory way in his in his own mentory way and then like charlie day playing jj abrams for some reason that is a <laughs> I never fascinating choice that i enjoy it I don't get why they decided to do that, but it was really funny that they did. So I know maybe that's why, because it was funny. I was waiting for Just... Charlie Day to say mystery box. <laughs> he definitely felt like he was on the amount of coke that J.J. Abrams was on when he wrote Rise of Skywalker. That. Oh, wait, did he write Rise of Skywalker or did someone that's else? A... Like, I think that was him and Chris Terry or Good something. Screenplay, yeah, no, him and Chris Terrier, yeah, no, so yeah, so he he sounded like he was yeah, on the amount was a of coke that J.J. Abrams was obviously on. That is a on. blizzard film. That is a movie <laughs> Just, that has so much snow, it made World of Warcraft. <laughs> it's fucking, I felt like, I felt like if that movie ever fucking stopped, I was gonna break my neck from the whiplash. Yeah, yeah, and man, I really... It was fascinating seeing people ask for a specific movie. And then get it and then be mad that they got it. It really teaches you something about pandering to like, children. Fuck it, like, I... Not small children, I, the grown kind. Mm-hmm. I, I enjoyed it to a certain degree. Like, it was... It was enjoyable. I mean, obviously, you know, Last Jedi was better just in every single way, but it was... It was fun, whatever. The Last Jedi was very... Ins- Rise of Skywalker was a uh, lesson about compromise. <laughs> like, are you sure you want that? Are you sure? What happens when you're afraid to be yourself, unlike Pacific Rim. Which is so, again, unapologetically itself. There's few ways that you could describe Pacific Rim other than it's Pacific Here's Rim. Here's my ad for Pacific Rim. My uh, sort of closing thought, I guess. Yeah. You know that nerd-ass thing you do when you discover something and you think, like, oh, what kind of, like, bender would me and my friends be or something, right? Or, yeah. I don't know, if you were born with a personality, like, what what, what house in Wizard High School would I be in? <laughs> I left Pacific Rim thinking, oh, man, who could I drift with? Like, you to, to run one of these robots in Pacific Rim... It has to be two people, well, or more, I guess. Usually, and two there has to people. be this sort of drift of understanding and compatibility. And I, I was just imagining all these permutations. For example, with Mister Lego here, I am pretty sure there would be high <laughs> compatibility, but followed immediately by desertion. I don't know, like either that or just like being the boy <laughs> getting dropped into the, <laughs> dropped into the fucking. Pacific Ocean. Stop T-posing with the robots. <laughs> I could likely drift with my fiance, but like... I hope so. You've got like eight months to figure that one out, man. I feel like we'd get too distracted. Just by like, like dumb fucking stimulus. Ooh, robot. I know that you and me, like, were we to drift, would probably just get too caught up in just how fucking cool this was. Yeah. And just like, just like somewhat ironically, but not entirely, just scream at one another, I'm Kumi! 
It's finally happened. Oh. It's finally happened. Please remember the civilians. There are so many dead. Please. I'm bursting out of my fucking hard suit. <sighs> fucking incredible. Um, like miming the wrist bite from fucking Attack on Titan and shit. Uh, okay, so it's... <laughs> this has been a very positive week in movies in Weeaboo Hell. It's Weeaboo Hell. It's Weeaboo Hell to restore balance universe. I don't know, maybe we'll watch something where someone tries to fuck their sister again. Like, there's a whole bunch of Issa whatever kicking around. Uh, yeah, probably. I, eventually, guys, eventually, um, I don't know if I mentioned this already. We are going to do, I've, I've decided we're fucking doing it. We are doing a week where we watch all the way through Aramanga Sensei and Interspecies Reviewers. Oh. So, wait oh, for it. Oh, you just committed me Watch to that. Okay, it. cool. I'm just gonna steal my... Yeah, we're doing it. I, I promise. I promise we will do that episode. You will get to see fucking Thanos Sam declare that, you know, we need to fucking rebuild the fucking universe from scratch. Hey, cool. Can you buy me a uh, green <laughs> wig and some lipstick? Because that clearly is what's just going to push me into, like, the fucking Heath Ledger Joker caricature of a human being that has been lurking behind my fucking subconscious for 28 on years. Yeah. Yeah. But that's a future problem. For now, thank you for watching Weeaboo Hell. For now, I'm Denard Dale, a.k.a. Blind Monkey. I am Sam Legault. Just Sam Legault. Just Sam. He's dropping the he's dropping the cow. It's a surprise. It's fine. We're almost thirty. You use you your pseudonyms at thirty. I still use a couple of my fucking handles that I still use in high school. <laughs> I'm trying not to. Like most of my usernames are just my name at this point, but you know, a few of them aren't. This has been Weeaboo Hell. It's Weeaboo Hell. We dislike the police. What was the old something awful thing? Uh, gently caress twelve. Gently caress 12. <laughs> furiously insert into 12. <laughs> or no, please insert furiously into 12. Do we address the Elba in the room? Um, For his performance in this, Fuck the me. next hold time... Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I need to try that again. Uh, one sec, because I missed something real fucking, real fucking easy that I shouldn't have missed. Uh, give me one sec. Uh, so do we, uh, do we address the elephant in the room? <laughs>